Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of The End Podcast where we'll be picking apart Wonder Woman and the cast on limited numbers today will be letting you know their thoughts and their inspections of it as well. So if you like what you hear, then we have a back catalogue now, which is growing nicely. So if you want to hit subscribe on whichever platform you are currently listening to us on and possibly give us a rating. And if we like what you have to say, then we'll read it out on the next episode. We're on Spotify, Instagram, Twitter, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud. And if we've missed anything, then please do let us know and we'll make sure that we're available to you on whichever your platform of preference is. Without further ado, Wonder Woman was available on Christmas Day. It stars Gal Gadot, who's reprising the lead of Diana Prince and Wonder Woman. Chris Pine also returns as Steve Trevor. Kirsten Wig debuts in a superhero film is Barbara Minevra. 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 It's Tim, Tim, it's Tim, Timony Tim, Tim. (laughs) (laughs) And Pedro Pascal plays the part of Maxwell. Lord Patty Jenkins writes and directs as she did in the first film. And of course, it would be wrong to not punctuate that with critically, financially and popularly acclaimed film. And before we start today... And certainly with no mistakes or, or reams of editing that's already taken place that you'll never see, we are going to introduce ourselves. I am Matt, aka Spank. You can find me on all platforms as Marvel Spank with no underscores or spacing. And the other cast members today that are with me are Tim. Would you introduce yourself, please, Tim? Sure. Hey, everybody. My name's Tim uh, at TM Bagshaw on uh, all platforms, mainly Twitter, though, is where you can find me. Looking forward to the discussion. <laughs> Tell the people who you are and where you come from, please. Hi, my name's Tara, and um, you can find me mostly on Twitter as Film Noir Girl and spell girl with all R's. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and Ali, please take the floor. Hi, I'm Ali. You can find me on uh, Twitter at prairie under uh, prairie hyphen bayou and Instagram, Prairie Bayou 93. <laughs> Good stuff. And thank you all for making yourself available on New Year's Day. It is appreciated. And thank you for giving me your warm, hospitable glows. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to start off and say that I really liked this film because I thought before it was released that I was going to be banging my head against the wall and it wasn't going to be a film that I liked, but everybody else was going to be cooing over it for possibly what it stood for or because they they, they were already doubled down on the first film and in actual fact not very many people liked it at all so that was fucking brilliant for me in a nutshell it's not a good film i, I feel like it's a small scale end game in that way whereby the points that it was trying to hit didn't mesh well with the actual storytelling martin freeman actually said this about black panther that he said that he felt that there was a big movement behind it and it was important what it stood for and the time was right and he was proud to be a part of it but he said let's make no mistake All that is worth nothing if we don't make a good film. And we made a good film. And he was absolutely right. And I think that's where this falls down. And I think more so that the points they were trying to make, whether they have validity or not, I found that they were clumsy. It was almost like Twitter made a film. I'm I'm, I'm railroading myself into saying that this has no redeemable features. I think to start 
to well not to start with but i think it has to be said that i think gal gadot while not um a, a brilliant actress is a brilliant wonder woman but most of it playing diana on screen and she did that to a plum as well chris prine played steve trevor great and the relationship between he, him and diana prince which was kind of flipped with the fish out of water tail from the first one i thought that worked quite well Kristen Wiig was great as a person, but I don't know what the fuck they were trying to do with Cheetah. I don't know the 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 way that they appeared in the film, and it looked terrible. You you can always tell bad CGI because they do it at night. They did it in Venom mm-hmm. because it's it's a lot easier to do CGI action sequences and set pieces in the dark because you're only concentrating on the on the meshed figures as opposed to having to think about shadow and light and reflections. Uh, Pedro Pascal, fucking Jesus, what? I, I mean, one of the most dumbfounding and, and in, inexplicable characters I've ever seen in a superhero film, but... I mean, he acted the tits off it. Like, he, he smashed the granny out of something that was just ridiculous. As I said, I think it was thematically confused. I always use Stranger Things as, as the best example. Now, Stranger Things is, it's not a linear storytelling. And the Duffer Brothers, they shot it around 30 different studios or 20, 25, whatever it was, before it was picked up. And every single studio said, we can't do a film if we don't know who the protagonist is. We can't have three or four independent stories running, despite how cleverly you might tie it up at the end. When you think about it, and this is what makes Stranger Things so outstanding, that in something this complex, that you never think, ah, but if that, then why didn't this? Or, or didn't you say this, then how can that? And at no point of Stranger Things am I questioning the rules that they've set up. In Wonder Woman, I, feel that it, I felt that it was either over-explaining the simplest things or just saying, allow it, allow it. Like in the ending, which part did we set these rules? And it was kind of like the same thing with the opening sequence, which many people are saying it's the best part of the film. But for me, it was kind of like, okay, but I need a big payback for that. The studio wanted to take that part out of it. Patty Jenkins actually said she wanted it to be an introduction to people that hadn't seen the first film. So there was a contextualization. I mean, Wonder Woman's Wonder Woman, right? Given if you don't know the character, you, you pretty quickly, you pretty quickly pick it up. And I think that you have to rationalize it too much, whereby you can't take shortcuts to have what you want. Therefore, you can't make a wish to have your dead boyfriend come back. You have to, what, do it the right way? <laughs> what, what like I feel right. like you really right. have to you're really having to sort of fit that we could spend this whole hour on, on me dissecting dissecting it scene by scene but but yeah Tim do you do you have any thoughts because I fucking invited um, you onto this over a week ago <laughs> <laughs> I really agree I mean Matt I agree with everything you said I, I would say that my main takeaway the, the movie to me is like a C or a C minus I I just felt myself the whole time saying you know meh I'm just yeah. like not even enter. I was barely even entertained mm. by the thing. Mm. There's there's so little Wonder Woman. You get a lot of Diana. You and you get like you said. You have like basically three or four main characters in the film. I mean, there, there's just like there there are many minutes that go by where you don't even see Gal Gadot at all. I mean, all the scenes oh. with um, Pedro Pascal. I, I just found that just inscrutable and deeply boring um, to me. Uh, and I think that I agree the themes were, were one note. Um, a lot of it, it, it just did not cohere. I, I think that with, 
with the first one, the first one was actually quite dark. I thought. I mean, yeah. it's about World War One. You know, there's there's all sorts of you know stuff like that. This one, I think you could predict was going to be a little bit lighter in tone. But in doing so, it's almost like they go too far. The stuff at the '80s stuff was just so gratuitous, almost to the point of parody. It's like, okay, yeah, there's a fight scene in a mall where they have where the colors of the mall are like orange and brown, like they used to be in the 80s. It's just like, okay, great. If I can use the Stranger Things while we're on topic, that yeah. another thing that the Duffer Brothers did when they knew they were doing an 80s program is they said they didn't want to do the MTV cliched bullshit. People aren't going to be running around in leg warmers and little short shorts and ridiculous high neck jumpers. And because I was alive in the 80s and people just wore jeans and t-shirt like they do now. Like that right. was that was the MTV image. So what the Duffer Brothers did, they went in and they picked about 50 high school yearbooks from that area specifically where it was supposed to be set. And they used those photographs and it was just kids wearing jeans slightly wider at the bottom with jumpers tight jumpers tank tops or what do you call them vests <laughs> tank tops, and, tank yeah, tops yeah. i agree and you know just thinking about that the scene where steve's trying on the outfits you know in the apartment the other guy's apartment and it's just like why is this going on for five minutes mm. what is the joke here i don't even i just found it the whole 80s stuff to be inscrutable luckily that the, the, this to the extent that scene survives it's due to the the sort of chemistry between the two the two leads but you know just on paper it just does not work for me at all the yeah. outfit that chris pine ends up wearing they're taking the piss out of it's the exact outfit that a um a woman's magazine made him wear wear for a cover shoot so they oh. used that exact oh, really? that exact outfit to take the piss out of what they made him wear <laughs> that's so funny the central MacGuffin, right the the dreamstone or whatever they're calling it i don't even know what they yeah. called it i thought of it as the dreamstone i don't know if they called it that even understand the metaphysics of that it's like okay when she wishes back steve is that actually steve is that some no, it's not. No. simulacrum of no. steve no this is the perfect the perfect thing to explain the shortcomings of this film it's not made clear because the man just walks into that party. Now, first of all, it's a wish. Why the fuck, what part of the film does it service for it not just to be Steve? Like, what yeah, was the point exactly. in putting him on something else? It, it was just exactly. a level of complexity that was unnecessary. Clumsily done. And then she doesn't recognize him. And then he says that thing like that to the end of the line thing, Bucky and Cap kind of shit, whatever, whatever they said. Who cares? It's DC. <laughs> <laughs> shots fired <laughs> so so then for the audience convening we see him as steve but there's little things like in the mirror whereby it's not steve and that it's still the person now the problem i have with this there was this big like all men are sexual sexual predators thing that was running through it and it was if you're gonna do that take it seriously or if that was you taking it seriously do it better but yeah. if you actually inspect it gal Gadot is having sex with a man without him giving consent all the way through yep. this film. And if, yep. if Patty Jenkins, she said she watched the film 150 times because she approved every yeah, edit exactly. for every version that was going out throughout the world. If that wasn't obvious to her by, by her watching it 150 times, then somebody needs to take her aside and say, look, we were living in some despicable times in the past, but if you think that this is an example 
of true love, then you've got a long way to go to, to understanding some of the problems that we have. Just mind-blowing how nobody would pick up at that. But nobody would have just said, so Wonder Woman's raping a man for 90 minutes or two and yeah. a half hours. Jesus Christ, did it not need to be two and a half hours? <laughs> Cut out but all then, the rape scenes for a start. <laughs> does she realize that it's not truly Steve? And if so, yeah, that just completely undercuts yes. the whatever emotional payoff you get when she re renounces her wish right it's like it's not yeah. even steve it's just like some An it's, a, it's a trick you know i don't know yeah and then the final scene the reason why i'm confident saying that when the man actually walks past her in the street yeah he's given she's definitely giving him the fuck me eye right like yeah. someone that hot is giving him like, a fuck me eye and he's just like yeah i'm a cool dude i'm just gonna walk away like a superhero walking away from an explosion and not looking back there's no way that you're walking away like it's just the whole thing is so fucking there, absurd there is a, there is a possibility that he could have walked away from that he could have been gay no matter how hot she is he's not going to be interested in her well i don't know That's it's cool. gal gadot i don't think anyone's that gay <laughs> <laughs> I, I, guess I know I, it's uh, not a choice <laughs> I, I know i know <laughs> i didn't hate the movie i no. almost hated it but i think it for me at least was burdened by the expectations that the first one you know generated and yeah. so in a vacuum perhaps it's a good movie like if, if this came out during like the the actual 1980s i think it I would have had a completely different reaction to oh, it gotcha. in the context of things that were coming out at that time. But when you're talking about a film culture where you have like all these MCU movies, and not only that, the first Wonder Woman movie is so much better than this one. I think it's just, I, I, I was very let down, but personally. Would that's you like to pick up the, the ring, Tara? Is there um, anything you can add to that? Sure, okay. I'll try to. <laughs> I'd, like to try. I'd like you to try as hard as you possibly can, please. <laughs> No pressure. Okay. I was thinking the same thing that Tim was, where I trying really hard not to hate it. And I did go back and rewatch the first one. Yep. And I didn't drift off during the first one. And the time went by pretty quickly, even though it was mm -hmm. almost the same length. But that was the longest two and a half hours of my life, the second one. <laughs> and I kept drifting, like my mind kept drifting off. And I was like, oh, yeah, this. And that happened more mm -hmm. than once. So I knew it wasn't just that day. So I didn't hate it. I kept trying to remind myself that, okay, maybe they got carried away trying to be the thing that comes to us in our homes on Christmas day when we have nothing to live for, you know, like on this <laughs> horrible dumpster fire of a year that, yeah. that maybe that's what made it like too much. Um, because I kept thinking something like, I guess we've all said in one form or another, which was editing would have been nice. If they had made that like a tight hour and 45 minutes, it might've been a little easier to suspend all the disbelief yeah. that we needed to suspend. Yeah. Was, I don't remember any superhero movie where I was kind of like, how much longer is this? I tried to watch it a second time and I was just like, <laughs> I, I don't even, I don't care. It was painful. I just don't care. Yeah, I was yeah. kind of bitter after I rewatched it the second time. I thought I did it wrong the first time. <laughs> yeah. And it didn't it didn't get better. I did stay awake, but the, other than that, that was the only thing the second time added. That sounds really more cool than I mean for it too, because I think they meant well, but yeah. wherever Patty Jenks got, and I've been rooting for her and excited mm -hmm. about this. And I guess that's the other thing is trying not to put too much expectation. I agree completely with that. And I think the thing with Patty Jenkins, she won an Oscar for, for Monster. And she she didn't have any film offers for like three years. And it's it's the worst example of what was mm -hmm. happening in Hollywood. And I think it's right that we should root for people like Patty Jenkins, because she's great. And I yeah. still can't, it doesn't affect it, one iota what, what, how much I'm looking forward to her Star Wars film as well. 
It's a movie. Yeah. I'm still and, excited for her. Yeah. Or even Wonder Woman 3. I'm, ex- right. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Me too. I think that they may have dropped this on, on Christmas Day, knowing that there's going to be this big compression in the release schedule. And I think they possibly knew that this wasn't subjectively a good film. And what they did to Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot is they released, released it online with it having equivalency of a billion dollars. So they both had their 10 million box office cut. They had like hush money for it going on. And that's why they've been nothing but positive in their interviews. Like this is the time we couldn't sit on it. It was relevant for now. We couldn't miss our moment. I think that they made that move. Yes, I think so. Because everybody's itching to get some content from somewhere for something. And we've been expecting this film. We've been wanting this film and we got it what we ended up with is not what we anticipated. I think they knew that going in. So to make the biggest bang they possibly could, definitely. I had to steal it. Mm-hmm. I still resented the money I didn't pay. <laughs> Does anyone know why why it had to be 1984? Because I felt like the way they overdid the 80s and I lived, I was there for the 80s too. Me so. too. Yeah. <laughs> so, still living it, in it. Yeah, me. <laughs> That's just my music collection. So <laughs> it was jarring their their entrance to the 80s was so jarring that it took me out of the film and that's unusual especially given that i know the setting i didn't even feel relieved to get there you know what i mean so what are the people thinking that i think it was because we'd had two canonically in time films in dawn of justice and justice league so there needed to be something front and center to qualify this as being another a retrofit and also Wonder Woman 1980 sounds silly. So to actually pinpoint a year, it's just more catchy. Oh, what was the uh, war film? Was it 1917? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it was a good one, yeah. When they did the single edit, for the first 15 minutes, it was distracting because I was trying to pick out where the edits were. And then I sort of forgot about that and, and just was into the film. And me and my friend sort of talked about it afterwards. And he said, why? And I was like, yeah, good question why Mm -hmm. great it shows like a technical aptitude just because we can do something doesn't improve things no one said safe and private ryan wasn't a good film because of the amount of edits or the amount of cuts in it okay you've done it and said it in the 80s but why what part of this film couldn't have been done after justice league okay there's the nuclear threat but it didn't play into the politics all it did was fall into (laughs) tropes for missile crises like the world's not any more stable. We said this in one of the previous podcasts about mm-hmm. Magneto. Like it's not necessary. Like the world's fucked now still. As a storyteller, if you can't adapt that. You you mentioned how, why why would we do 1984? And the one thing that I that I can come up with is had a, a lot of success with 80s genre type things. We have in 1984, primarily in the 80s, there was a lot of consumerism greed, get rich quick schemes. A lot of that took place in the 80s. And I think that that with the Dreamstone, the artifact played into that. As far as her being pretty much invisible for that span of time, I don't know how that happened, I guess. Oh, I've just um, remembered something. She actually addresses the world at the end. Mm-hmm. Yes. She actually okay. addresses every single person in the world at the end. No one was questioning who who that was. Right. <laughs> was a voice in my Um, There's a lot of confusing parts in this film. It's just so littered with things from other films that it just, I wished it was its own entity. And I felt like it just wasn't standing on its own. It was relying on other things to try and build it up. 
and I hate to say this, but as a woman, I feel that I need to say this. Why can't a woman just be a badass and not have to rely on the fact that there has to be a man or a romance involved? Do you think it's forgivable, though, that it's a role reversal, that Steve was fridged to enhance her story arc? Yes, to both. That's still a fair answer. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. Playing on a lot of cliché. There's two different antagonists in this film. Neither one of them are really held accountable for their actions. And it's one too many. There's one too many. You know, you have Diana befriending this shell of a girl who's not confident. And here's Gal Gadot, who's confident. I mean, if I were Gal Gadot, I would be confident just in every sort of way. What annoys me about that trope that's been overplayed, it's like in She's oh, a Match, is it Lainey Boggs? The, the girl's fucking hot. Like, there's no way that you're not looking at her in an office and she's not going to have blokes coming up to her all, all times of the day asking if she wants yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. They, it's just they basically ridiculous. ignored her. There's also another uh, another part in this that I, I found was sort of cliche. You have them showing up at the, at the party and Gal Gadot is in white and mm. Kristen Wiig is in black. Oh, goodness me, yeah. But I looked at that and I said, ugh. Where this falls down most is it takes itself too seriously, but then falls for every single trope. And what you just said just had alarm bells ringing in my mind. One of them is an elegant flowing dress and one of them is a tight lace thing. It speaks of, of sexual possession that says that the villain, it looks like a slutty villain, but then the protagonist is wearing something that's elegant. What that says is women aren't in control of their own sexual possession. And that yeah. to, to look this way is with villainy and to look this way is with heroism. The whole thing sends out very confusing messages about identity and possession of the self. And the same <laughs> the fucking funny thing that just comes to my mind. When Gal Gadot f- follows her to the park and rescues her and then just goes, all right, see you later, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that part of the park renowned yeah. for not being dangerous then? <laughs> well, the, thing is, the thing is with that is she says, you know, go home. Well, she's just been attacked. Wouldn't you want to walk your walk friend? I mean, if the woman is another woman, I would be like, come on, girl, we're going home. Um, <laughs> the pack mentality of women in, 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 in a social setting, you see another woman that's that's being abused or hurt, you don't want to per- you go into protective mode. Diana was just like, see ya, um, gotta go. Brent, she just had dinner with, yeah. We were already using the buddy system then. Because each other. It's not like putting they were putting they were putting stuff in your drinks. They were oh, it was easy um, to get you know and drugs, easy men. targets. Yeah. We know the you know your mother always says don't leave your drink in a bar. Oh, you never do. Um, you uh-uh. take it with you to the bathroom. You know, so it's just. But even following the rules, there are things from the eighties I cannot unravel yet. There's also another thing that was interesting that I noticed in this film. In the very beginning, Diana has on uh, high heels and they're cheetah print. All throughout the film. It's like, all throughout yeah. the film. And it's like... And actually, that's sense. why when... That's why she um, turned that way. Uh, Barbara asks Maxwell, Lord, to be an apex predator because he had a cheetah print uh, loafers on at one point as well. Yes, he did. It was projected into the world that he wanted people to wish for her to be an apex predator. And Mm -hmm. so it was his choice. That's how he interpreted the apex predator. Um, Because if you look around his office and and in his attire, the cheetah print was prevalent there. The power of that stone itself, because I've I've read the Sandman Chronicles and Dr. Destiny has that at one point and just wreaks havoc in a diner. Um, And the power of that thing is immense and very dark and deadly. I think with the, what they were missing here is the absolute devastation that that object can cause 
really wish that they would have focused either on that or on cheetah as being as being the antagonist one of those two i think they could have done so much more and made more of an impact when maxwell lord renounced his wish was that necessarily the end of it the progression of the film of it going to the oil baron then went to him to renounce his wish and then it went on to the next person who renounced their wish and it was supposed that everybody had to renounce their wish for the world to be balanced now like there's going to be there's going to be spouses that have lost partners to illness there's going to be selfish children that wish for um, a <laughs> yeah a pony and yeah. it's not going to be like that like some people are just not doing it like fuck the world i've got my husband back do you know what i mean right. Or there's right. exactly. someone that's literally just passed away in their hospital and now they have the opportunity to bring them back to life. The powers, as you rightly say, were very un unclear, Ali. I think maybe they tried to leapfrog it by involving his child wishing for him to be back. But that's the best thing I could come up with, that maybe they leapfrogged all that messiness that they couldn't yeah. possibly have, have addressed properly that's good. without the child wishing for his father to be there. Are you telling me nobody wished for world peace? Uh, nobody. That's what it sounds like, right? Oh. And what happens if two contradictory wishes happen? The whole yeah, what thing is the whole thing is just so messy. Very messy. Is the monkey's paw meant to be the Sandman Dreamstone? I'm not sure. I thought that it was more of like a cultural reference, so that we all understood that there was no wish without a consequence that was going to be dark. Okay. Yeah. Be careful what you wish for. So exactly. That um, that was their shorthand for saying, be careful what you wish for. Repeatedly. First thing that came to my mind, what would be his consequence? And the one thing that came to my mind would have been his child. Yeah. yeah. Right. Any parent. What parent? Because that's that? all that child wanted was his dad. He didn't care if he had all the money in the world. He didn't want planes. He didn't want toys. He wanted his dad. And what yeah. would have been the biggest, horriblest thing to happen to him for him to lose? Wouldn't have been his health. Would have been yeah, his no, child. There's no predicate for, for us to believe that his, his health is the most important thing to him. That, that was completely out of the blue. Right. It's clearly his son. Um, yeah. Or but son's health was yeah, you know? I mean, it would have been horrible, but mm. the consequence would have been so much more severe. I don't think he was in his right uh, right mindset, certainly, because he does go off the, the crazy train a little bit. It's almost like a drug addiction when you get a fix and then you're, you know, and you, you want, you're just chasing that next high. That's basically what I got from this. And that also, but I could not get past the fact that his consequence was never really completely fulfilled. I don't know if he really learned anything from this. I don't think that they realized the weight that it carries. And I don't think that that was ever addressed on either Cheetah's side or on um, X-Lord's side, either one of them. Two things that stood out to me was that the reason why X-Men Apocalypse was slated at the time was because it, it had another end of world setting at the end. And it was kind of like, we've seen this so many times. Like how many times can the world be destroyed and then rebuilt and then five years later it happens? And I was kind of rolling my eyes at that. And the other thing that I felt it bought, borrowed heavily was, was the, he's not a bad guy. He's just had a bad upbringing. And then they shoehorn in this retrofit. Like, if you'd have split that into five vignettes through the film, it may have been more impacting. Another bit that was borrowed, when she was addressing the world, I was like, I've seen this in The Winter Soldier, but this is a bad version of that. Ooh. And I, all you're doing is you've looked at what has made other films successful, 
and gone, okay, we'll do that. And the same thing with Captain America, all these flashbacks to what made him a hero. This is like, well, this is the similar thing that's made Maxwell Lord a villain. But it was just, oh, yeah, but not really. That's what it felt like. Oh, but not really. Yeah, yeah. There's both not enough and too much of him. Yep. You know, we yes, don't we don't it. get the the rich sort of motivational stuff that Matt you're talking about. But then why do we have to see 50 different instances of him granting a wish? Like yes. that that was just so ponderous. So there was one part where where Barbara's kicking that the guy that attacked yes. her in the park and she goes, I could do this all night long. And I'm thinking, that's <laughs> Captain America. <laughs> why would you? <laughs> and there's another part. Steve wakes up and he had he's talking about Pop Tarts. And I'm like, that's Thor. Yeah, I'm, just, uh, I'm shaking my head. I'm thinking, did they watch all the Marvel films and just say, let's see if we can put this in there? So it was almost like a, a decoupage of stuff. Nice. Nice. Um, I wanted to like this film so much. Yeah. I really, really, I mean, you have no idea. I loved the first one. I'm so glad this came out second. Are, are there things you guys did like about it? I think that what yeah. Pedro Pascal had to work with, I think he did. Uh, an astonishing job. I kind of liken it to yeah. uh, Lee Schreiber in, and Hugh Jackman in X-Men Origins, that irrespective of what you think about that film, that when there were no villains in in screen, that those two acted, they just smashed the granny out of out of their roles. And, and they were yeah. both very, very good in that. It's just the rest of the film. In, in keeping with that, that given how much they took away from Kristen Wiig, from what mm -hmm. she could do, that she did the best she could with what she had. And I hope that there's, I mean, I don't, I don't know the canon on Cheetah, but I hope there's a way to give her a better chance to be some, I don't know, is there, is that the end of, is Cheetah a one shot in the I canon? There's, there's rumors that she's going to be in the third film. I loved her scenes, like Kristen Wiig. Me too. Very, very, very charismatic. She stole every scene she was in without even yeah. trying. And we've talked and about we've talked about actors in the past that have a great range. Saw her having to play three roles, and yeah. she had she had a good enough dexterity to to play them. So there's a clear judge. And we have a late arrival today, uh, Goose, and it is the best kind of late arrival because he's standing there in a luxurious um, <laughs> gown with free flowing locks and a cheeky smile. <laughs> it's the only way I like to see him. So Goose. Hi. Hello, how are you doing? Uh, yeah, if you want to want to pick up with Wonder Woman, I would very much like to hear what your thoughts were. Yeah, we watched Wonder Woman on Christmas Day. Mm. And I'll say this, it's campy. Uh, it reminded me a lot of some of those Joel Shoemaker Batman films, which people hate on all the time, but I fucking love. Um, I thought the dialogue was a little clunky, but I thought that it's it's... It's one of those movies that's really enjoyable, but you could enjoy it just as much with the sound off and like a real kick-ass, like, play playlist playing over top of it um wasn't as strong as the first one but still just such a solid movie and such a fun ride and getting to see Kristen Wiig and uh fucking Gal Gadot go head to head it just everything about it I I enjoyed there's some things that I think could have been better a little bit of clunky dialogue but action was great but nerdy ass Kristen Wiig stole my heart in that movie yeah we've just spent an hour saying why it was the most repulsive thing that we'd ever seen <laughs> <laughs> good good this is 
good. It's going to give us some balance. You're just um, a warm-hearted individual we're, while we're obviously as cold as a witch's tit. <laughs> and a brass Reptilians. <laughs> Don't forget Reptilians, that. all of you. I didn't believe the action sequences. I felt like everything looked like it was on wires. And when she was running, it kind of looked like her feet weren't quite matching the pace she was going at. Do you know like when in the old like Wiley Coyote films where he's run off a cliff yes. and then his legs are still going 10 to the dozen, then the clouds clear and he looks down and he falls. The way that she moved when she was going in sort of super speed, it kind of looked like the legs spinning in midair kind of thing. I didn't, I didn't think they were that bad. And so I kind of took a lot of things with a grain of salt. Like she, she has the conversation with old uh, Steve and she's like, I'll never love again. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I don't, I don't, I don't like that. That seems stupid. Like, you're Gal Gadot. You're Wonder Woman. You don't have to be in love with Steve Trevor's. Like, there's way better looking guys out there. Thank <laughs> you. Not according to my fiance, but I think she's she's engaged. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah, yeah, she is. She is. She's sitting right here too. The one thing that everybody's been praising has been Pedro Pascal's his character, and I just didn't particularly like him. I think that Pedro Pascal is a great actor, but like I said, I wasn't too big of a fan of, of his role as Maxwell Lord. And I don't think it was, I don't think it was him. Like you said, I really do think it was um, how the character was staged and how he was set up. And it was almost like they tried to set him up as this Greek tragedy character where he's just trying to do good. And, you know, he's trying to help out his son and he's a swindling con man, but he's just trying to, you know, make his son proud. He didn't seem like a threat. Like, even after he had gotten the, the stone, and even after he became the stone, like, he just didn't seem like a threat. And then with that being said, like, the same thing with Cheetah. I really enjoyed it, and I liked it, but I think that they could have done the villains a lot better, and I think that that's, to me, the only part of the movie that I didn't really enjoy was, it almost, it almost felt like, a, you know how those stories that they do in between arcs that are, like, one or two issues, and they don't really yeah, yeah. pull the story along, they're just kind of filler yeah. issues. It, it felt like a filler film, which, then again, I can't really say much because almost all of DC's films have felt like filler films. Well, like I said, it, it, I, I took it from a from a serious point of view, which did make those serious things that they were trying to put out. Uh, and it's the it's the one time that I've seen like Patty Jenkins not like just completely blow my mind because the first Wonder Woman movie was just incredible. This one, this one on the other hand, it wasn't bad, but I didn't hear one fucking good 80s song. No take on me by uh, yes. no fucking yeah. uh, simple minds like dude Donnie Darko like, Donnie Darko I that's that's how you do it oh, open stranger things again stranger things man like that's uh, stranger things is one of the final one of the last two or three episodes of the first series and there's just and it's the song that I don't really I, I don't really cry too easily if at all but some things make me feel like I am but it just never happens and there was a part of it with Winona Ryder. And I was like, I, I sort of froze like alert. And I grabbed the person next to me. Went, it's Joy Division. It's Joy Division. It's atmosphere. It's atmosphere. It's atmosphere. It's atmosphere. And she was looking at me going, yeah, probably. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. This fucking song. When you've got the opportunity, that's how it should make you feel. Donnie Darko opening up with Echo and the Bunnyman's The Killing yeah. Moon is one of my favorite opening scenes. And so I, I, I really feel like they failed on the, on the, because... 80s 80s pop culture is such a big thing to a lot of people so rich uh, not just not just the older group that yeah yeah i mean fuck it was the time of pop music you had michael jackson you had uh madonna jesus christ you had yeah. madonna 
And this is not like Madonna nowadays where she's like holding up Kabbalahs and shit. She was singing like a virgin and like a prayer. <laughs> and like just ruining the minds of young men. Fornicating with Black Jesus. That's the Madonna that I like. Yeah, they could have also used a lot of, I mean, it was the the height of of introduction of rap into society. So um, you could have thrown some Run DMC in there or, you know, something. It's tricky, but it was perfect. um, Look at American Psycho. Like, even if you wanted just tacky stuff that everybody loves, like American Psycho had a perfect playlist for that film. Oh, but in, anyway, it's such a rich and deep period for music. Such a missed opportunity. Such a missed opportunity. And there's so many one-hit wonders. You could have just loaded it with a bunch of one-hit wonders and been fine. And everybody would have known what you're ta- what, what the songs were. Yeah. Um, and the one thing that really, Pedro Pascal's performance, I think that the one thing that he kind of reminded me of in the 80s was a televangelist. He's selling this yeah. these wishes. The Jim and, Baker. Jim Baker, yeah. yeah. Back in the day, in the 80s, those those men and women were huge. Um, uh, and and I think that he got he gave me those kinds of vibes with the hair and the, you know, the pitch, the sales pitch. It, it just felt that way um, for me. When it approached the end and so that it needed a superhero to counter the threat, it kind of felt like. I don't know, they were probably trying to do something different. And, and that's why it's such a shame that they chose to put um, Cheetah in there as well. That they wanted something that Wonder Woman didn't just have to, to punch to make right. And they're trying something different. But I felt that the escalation was so How forced. How do they make it escalate to something that is worthy of a superhero and came so late? Look at what happened with Sokovia in Age of Ultron. They were in amongst the danger for a long period of time. But with this, it was kind of like escalation, World's in chaos. Now it's finished. Uh, I felt the pacing, the pacing, especially for a two and a half hour film, it's kind of unforgivable. Oh, fuck a- yeah. Fuck yeah. Been- when Superman discovered he could fly, it was when he was introduced to the tech from his world and we'd already had a big sort of built up whether he should be using his powers. And it came at a point in the film where it seemed like there was uh, a reward or there was a reason for it happening. In this, she kind of just started to fly and that brings another point that why was she losing using the lasso to to catch onto the lightning is she flying or is she using the lasso and also what is the lasso is it of truth or is it something that solves all problems and does whatever she wants at any given point and from my point personally when she whips people and gets hold of them it's a lasso of truth there is absolutely not a single man in the world that isn't just going to go out of fuck you <laughs> she hot she hot. Bring me in, baby. Bring me motherfucking in. Beat me up hard. Oh, let me tickle me. Tickle me. Tickle me. Tickle me. <laughs> tickle. You got the, you got the ball me, gag me. of truth in there too, lady. <laughs> but like, let's be honest. Like, <laughs> like if I had to be, if I had to, uh, I hate if I, if I had to have a, a super, <laughs> straight up dark side on me, it'd be fucking Gal Gadot. That's I don't know a lot about Wonder deserve. Woman in the comics. Um, does she fly without the plane? After, after uh, Crisis on Infinite Earth, she, originally she could not fly. She could use like wind currents or some bullshit to like leap far, uh, but she couldn't fly mm-hmm. until after Crisis on Infinite Earth, and then everything got changed up. And then she was allowed to fly only using the um, invisible jet when needed. But the thing that the thing that I got from it was not the I didn't really care about the whole uh, Wonder Woman flying thing, and, and I'm. 
the way that I looked at the lasso was like, all right, it's a magical lasso that makes people tell the truth. Is it too far fetched to think that it can just stretch to stupid links? But I, I really enjoyed the opening, and that that's that's one thing I will say that I did not like. The opening set me up for a different film. Yeah. Um, that whole scene where she's where she's doing the race with the with the Amazons, and she you know she yeah. proves herself, and 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 then her mom's like, oh no, you cheated, you know, don't cut corners and shit. I was like, okay, we're gonna get a Wonder Woman you know not cutting corners and doing the right thing and and this that and the other and and in the end it just kind of fell flat because you could have used i mean any number i mean she's got a history as almost as long as 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 as, uh batman or as superman and so you've got so many stories and i think that with these characters like this which i i'll call them legacy characters because they're just one of the i mean she's one of the people that belong on the comics mount rushmore you have so much stuff out there to take influence from that you and enough runs that have been successful and popular that you don't need to do something like this. Just stick to the story. Who's the guy that did the new 52? Did um, 100, 100 Bullets as well? Brian Azzarello. Azzarello, of course. I would, li- I would really like two of them to be brave. And if you're doing a completely fresh take, like really dip into the magic and the mythos of... Uh, is it Primascara and and what that means and, and introduce all these all these other like mythical beings coming to earth and and I think that's one of the things that it hinted at in, in the first film that and it was a little bit distasteful because it set up this beautiful narrative that war isn't something that can be punched away that that war just exists in in people because it's an uncomfortable truth that that conflict is a part of human nature and i thought this was this beautiful premise but then of course it had to be bludgeoned into the snyderverse and aries turned up with his mustache in that helmet which looked fucking absurd but i would like to it would have been nice to have seen that maybe and it would have validated the first film one of the only weak points of the first film it very very slight although it did kind of ruin it for me that that fucking black smoke and flames ending but Nonetheless, that if we'd have produced the Aries is somehow, uh, it was a part of his machination that he placed that uh, wishing stone on Earth. Even if it was only in the Wonder Woman films that there was this Thanos creature in the background, the Aries was in some part to play on this. So I think that would have made it a little bit more forgivable. But yeah, I think they missed maybe missed an opportunity by ignoring that. I mean, you you look at <clears throat> did they did they ever mention in the first one what the deal with her gauntlets is? Did they ever bring that up? Do you do you guys know what her gauntlets do? Okay. Wonder Woman's gauntlets aren't some form of jewelry that she uses to make herself look good. Um, she is actually a demigod, and she has unnatural powers. What you see her doing is not like normal goddamn Amazonian shit. She has the power of God in her, and those gauntlets on her arms are, are placed there to contain her power. They're power-containing bracelets because if she were to unleash her full power, she could destroy the world even if she didn't want to. These aren't just bulletproof fucking gauntlets she uses to protect your face. This is a a real plot point. And and I think that you could make a whole movie about Ares trying to take off her gauntlets to make her her destroy the world even though she doesn't want to. And that's the perfect, like, man versus nature argument that yeah. you see with, with, with like Hellboy and stuff like that. It's that you, you're fighting that innate nature to destroy every fucking day. And, and we're not bringing up points like that on, on Wonder Woman. 
And, and I think that's a huge missed opportunity, man. She has such a lengthy background and such a, a plethora of things to grab influence from. And that kind of feeds into how absurd, and I found it absurd as well for someone that is that powerful, that when when Barbara yes. wishes for the power, so it has to come with, it's kind of funny because the payoff wasn't really at her expense. She didn't really lose anything, but Diana started to lose some of her powers. And even 2% of her powers going to Cheetah would have sufficed. But how nominalized Diana was by this power being siphoned out of her. And, and I think that sort of plays into what you said perfectly. And you know what the most unrealistic part of that whole movie was? The way she ran. To me, anyway. <laughs> I'm just wondering, so when you mentioned that the, the gauntlets, um, now when she made the wish, if she was losing her power, wouldn't that, would the gauntlets would have prevented that being siphoned from her? That's what I'm Because it's actually containing? Yeah, I, I think I think that I think that because they haven't brought up uh, the oh, gauntlets so really like, as as a They're thing. Not even yeah, yeah. Which which I mean, yeah. You could look at that if you if you were to add in her her whole gauntlet thing. Would you what you could have is those gauntlets being the only thing that is that is holding her power in, but she has to take them off to get her fucking power back. And at the same time, you know, she could blow up the whole fucking earth. I, I mean, you got little plot points like that that could drive a movie just like, just, just, just to be incredible. It could have been used in the same way of Thor that, that he was relying on his hammer and that he thought that's where his power came from. But in actual fact, by the end of Ragnarok, he realized that the power was within him and the hammer was just a way of, of concisely projecting that power. So if they'd have said that <laughs> at the beginning as instead of the, the race, of her with the bands and then at the end it was only by releasing her power that she could win and taking control of it that could have been like a better narrative progress than than having to work out that wait is it because she took a shortcut with steve or is it the the meta narrative that everyone's taking shortcuts or is it just that don't go down slides because you might cut your bum i don't know like it was just kind of <laughs> it was a hard one to interpret i don't know um Gal Gadot no, likes to sleep with guys that she looks like other look like other guys. That's it. She 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 you mean, you mean that have sex guy with someone which... that, that doesn't give consent. <laughs> <laughs> that thing. Hey, look, I'm not calling Wonder Woman a rapist. She was a rapist. You no, you can say that. Discussion. We've said that. She was a rapist. No, I didn't. I didn't okay, okay, okay. Then let's say it. She definitely <laughs> did some really sketchy shit. And and hear me out even more. She's old as fuck. We never talk about the age of the guy that takes over Steve's body, but he looks relatively young. So not only is it, a, is it just a non-consensual thing, it sounds a little statutory to me. <laughs> and the thing is, as so, and as Ali said, you don't even know if the guy's straight. But I was talking yeah. to my buddy one time. I was talking to my buddy one time, and, and he was talking about scarves, and I was like, I don't know, dude. Have you ever seen a guy with a scarf? We can all wear the same thing. <laughs> right. It's, it's I look damn good. And a Leicester scarf. I'll say that. <laughs> Very much so. We can all swear to that. <laughs> and the, the interest, there's one other thing that I wanted to bring up. Uh, it has absolutely nothing to do with uh, uh, too much with Wonder Woman. But um, Tara, you might have more insight into this because you're you're into psychology. But when uh, Matt was talking about Thor and his hammer, don't all men really think that their hammer has a lot of power? But yes. then you also have <laughs> you also have the fact that. Um, that the these gauntlets contain 
or subdue women, her power, which she's a woman and their jewelry. So I don't know, Freud could have a whole field day with that. Oh, but yeah. um, I find that quite fascinating, to be honest. Um, well, just, we must just, enable them and contain her. Exactly. Yeah. Why? <laughs> because they have hammers. And they're also, <laughs> in a way, they're also like shackles. Um, right. That's what just, I was thinking too. And did she have them off in bed? Oh, I hope not. <laughs> I don't I remember think, yeah, her having she, them on in bed. I don't remember her having them on in bed either. Maybe that's why it was two and a half hours. <laughs> bed. This is true. We're gonna need more lube. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we need more. <laughs> Can't go beyond four, apparently. Uh, so. <laughs> I, I will say this before we go. Uh, Allison said something about Freud. Freud having a uh, field day. I really think a Freud field day is just hanging out with your mom and doing a bunch of cocaine. So <laughs> I thought I'd add that in. And probably watching, uh, watching porn. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 Well, that sounds like a good time. Yeah, he lived all Step-mom, that. Stepmom, what are you doing? I did a report on that. He lived that. He lived all that. And I found it. I, I studied a little bit in in high school. They couldn't get into a lot of a um, lot of things like with the uh, um, fairy tales, which right. they couldn't get into Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which I really wanted to hear about. But apparently, <laughs> they, that was taboo for high school children. So I do my own. Did they talk about the first one. motherfucker, Oedipus. <laughs> <laughs> Won't get into Sleeping Beauty. Uh, <laughs> consent, by yeah, the way. Yeah, because that's a that's a little rapey too, ain't it? <laughs> yeah, it's very rapey. rapey no <laughs> I'm glad no, to see. No, no, they weren't. That there's no gutter is that is uh, left to be unscraped. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and nor should there be. There is uh, nothing that I can't uh, edit out. So, so congratulations. That whole last five minutes. <laughs> yeah. That's it for the end of it. So we'll say goodbye and I'll sign off. So Tara, say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Have a good week. Ali. See you later. Goosey. In 2021, you better have a goddamn good year and goodbye. And that only leaves me. So thank you for sticking with us to the end. And if you could throw us a like, throw us a subscription, a follow or whatever the platform you're listening on determines. And that only leaves one thing to say. We have been, and this is, the end. <laughs>